Welcome to episode 28 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends. So I'm sort of haunted by clothes. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that I love wearing all the new clothes all the time. And I know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet. That's why I am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste. And I'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free. That's right, I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands, and it is so incredibly easy. It's called MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like a hundred brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hacked. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order so you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste. Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous. And they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. 
I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 28 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. And how are you today, Jen? I am doing great. How about you? I'm good. Is there anything new in your world? I'll let you go first. I feel like I don't have anything crazy. (laughs) I mean, I just switched over my closet from spring, summer to fall, winter. (laughs) 
that's, you know, one of my, my problems with having so many clothes now. Because, you know, once things fit, you buy a lot of clothes. Because, you know, <laughs> if you've ever been really overweight, you're getting super excited about clothes fitting. So I had to try on all my fall-winter wardrobe. And um, it's funny, you know, in past years when, when I was struggling with my weight, you would try things on and, like, pray that they still fit. <laughs> yeah. You know, you'd, like... Like, have I gained too much weight for these clothes? But now it's the opposite. I try on things that fit last year, and they're too big. Yes, I have the same problem. Yeah, so it's funny. And um, I have a big stack of things, and I posted it on Facebook in my group. And I was like, oh, I'm going to put these in the guest bedroom and store them away. And, like, people kept asking, why are you saving them? Why are you saving them? And I'm like, you know, that's a good point. I haven't saved clothes all the way. Um, As I've lost weight, I've gotten the clothes out of the house. But... For some reason, I mean, these are my goal clothes, you know. So it's like, oh, I better save these. These are my goal clothes. And now I'm smaller than my goal. So it's a good problem to have. Well, it is. And it's so interesting because, you know, we tell ourselves, um, you know, medical science tells us, our culture tells us that you're just going to keep gaining weight as you get older, right? And, you know, I'm 48. And so I'm like, well, we just gain weight as we get older. But the opposite is happening. (laughs) So, you know, I don't need to save these for, quote, the day I gained the weight, right? I agree. <laughs> and I, I I, personally, I love fall and winter. I'm so excited about the, the change in the season. Well, you know, I would be except for shoes. Shoes? Oh, like yeah, boots? Yeah, I, like <laughs> I don't like to wear shoes. I want to oh. be barefoot all year. I want to wear sandals. I want to wear flip-flops. I, I do not like to wear shoes. Isn't that weird? That's funny. Yeah, she's like, I have weird feet. I have super duper narrow heels and big wide, you know, balls of my feet. So I have a hard time with shoes. I can wear boots. I can wear flip flops. I can't wear anything that goes around your heel. Well, you can wear boots then. I can, but you don't want to wear boots like every minute, I guess. That's that's it. I'm, I'm either wearing flip flops or I'm wearing boots. That's true. Well, I'm excited in any case. Well, it's it's happening whether we like it or not. It right? is. It is. Yeah. All right, shall we jump into today's questions? We can. Yeah, let's do it. All righty. So our first question comes from Angie, and the subject is appetite correction. And Angie's question says, Hi, ladies. I found your podcast a few weeks ago and started IF two weeks ago. I'm loving it. I have several friends who have started as well. I've listened to all of your podcasts through at least three times. I'm reading Jen's Delay, Don't Deny, and join both of her Facebook groups. All amazing resources. And thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, you're welcome, Angie. (laughs) She says, can you please explain appetite correction? I have tried to research it and just don't understand what it is and how it relates to IF. It sounds like something I need to have figured out. Thanks, Angie. And um, before we jump into this, so I kind of selfishly picked this question because, Jen, I have not read the Appetite Correction book that you reference a lot. And I've actually always sort of wondered what exactly we we mean by that, actually. So I'm just let you take over this question, and I'm really excited to hear what you have to say. Well, I may actually disappoint you because I was not going to go into a ton of detail. I just want to give you the basic overview. Um, Basically, there's a book um, written by Dr. Bert Herring called Appetite Correction, and he is the the person who originated the idea of Fast Five, which is a five-hour eating window, and it's really how I got started with intermittent fasting. And then his second book is called Appetite Correction. And when I read Appetite Correction, 
for the first time, it really just clicked with me and made so much sense. And um, Doctor, I actually advise everybody to read it rather than me try to, you know, tell you everything about it. I suggest just read his book. It's a quick read. It's easy, easy reading. And, um, and I really highly recommend it. So basically, we know that we've got, you know, satiety hormones that tell us when we've had enough to eat. And we also have hunger hormones that tell us when we need to eat. And according to Dr. Hearing, you know, in, in every, you know, living creature that is working properly in the wild, you know, these, um, these hormones work together. Our, our satiety and hunger hormones tell us to start eating. They tell us to stop eating. But in today's modern world, we've gotten all out of whack with our hormonal signals. And it has to do with a lot of different reasons. First of all, you know, processed foods affect our, our satiety signals. You know, they're, they're actually designed to make us want to keep eating them. So our bodies don't get the idea that we've had enough to eat. Also, our bodies are looking for nutrition. And these fake foods, you know, like, you know, I, I talk about Doritos because they're, they're a food that I love, but I don't eat a lot of them. But, you know, you just keep eating them, keep eating them, and you never feel satisfied because your body, your body knows that's not really food. So, um, you just, you're like, all right, now send me some food. So our bodies, if they're working properly, will let us know when we've had enough to eat without us having to count calories. We don't need to count carbs or fat grams or protein grams. We just eat and our bodies, you know, guide us to the right kinds of foods. You know, pediatricians often tell us this with our children. I think I've mentioned this before. You know, rather than worrying about what your toddler is eating and whether they're getting all their nutrition, if you notice over the course of a week, they they naturally would would eat a little bit of fruit one day, and then the next day they're eating meat, and then the next day they're you know it, it balances out over time um, based on their 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 signals. So that's the premise of appetite correction. And if we are doing intermittent fasting, it really helps us get back in touch with those hunger and satiety signals, and it's why we we talk about listening to your body. You know, if you think about animals in the wild, you don't see obese, you know, wild animals unless they've been being fed by humans. You know, like, you know, the the pigeons in the park that people are feeding and whatever. But in their natural state, eating the foods they're meant to eat, animals don't get obese and have to worry about, you know, going on a diet. Um so that's really the whole point of it is that our bodies are smart enough to figure this out if we're eating real foods. And then the intermittent fasting gets us back in touch with those signals. And so another part of it comes into play when, let's say, you worry that you're not having enough to eat. A lot of intermittent fasters do, and we've talked about this before as well. And you may eat what your rational mind says is not enough food for the day because you're trained to think we must have 1,200 calories a day or whatever number you think is is your minimum. But your body says, stop eating now. And so you start to worry, hey, you know, am I hurt, harming my body? But if you have what we call or what Dr. Herring calls appetite correction, you need to learn to trust those signals. There may be another day when you're hungrier in your eating window and you eat more than actually makes sense. And you're not like some kind of a glutton. Your body told you you needed to eat more that day. So that's the whole point of appetite correction. And he goes into it in more detail than I just did, but it's basically correcting those hormonal signals and learning to recognize them and trusting your body that you are going to figure it out in time. And for those of us that have experienced it, I mean, it is like your body says, stop eating now, even though you've still got food that you plan to eat. And, 
you better listen because if you keep going past that feeling, you're going to feel sorry later. <laughs> your body's going to let you know you should have stopped when your body said to. Okay, that's great. So it's basically, it's exactly what I thought Good. it was. Um, <laughs> and that's great. And so for listeners, if you'd like to check out, I should read that book. You really should. It's I'll simple. Check. It's not complicated. It's, it's you know, it, it doesn't go into anything groundbreaking that you probably don't already know. It's, it's a great introduction to the idea. And I had not ever thought about it before till he discussed it. And that really helped me learn to trust the process and not worry about am I eating too much or not enough. It really helped me understand that it made no sense to count calories. Which is really key, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so listeners, if you'd like to check out that book, we'll put a link to that book. Actually, there already is a link to that book. Um, so we have a resources page now on our website. So that's ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. And that has all the stuff we like. So there's a link to that book there if you'd like to get that. All right. Shall we jump into the next question? Yes, let's do. This one is from Lauren. And the subject is all the things. And Lauren says, hi, Melanie and Jen. I just discovered your podcast a couple weeks ago and have listened to them all already. I tried to pace myself, but seriously, just found them too interesting to wait. I had a couple questions regarding my own intermittent fasting journey. While I am considered at a normal weight, according to the BMI scale, I would still like to lose about 10 to 15 pounds. This would still be considered a normal weight, and I believe I would feel overall healthier. I've tried intermittent fasting off and on for a while now, but I really want to commit. My first question is, how did you train yourself to think of it as a lifestyle? I find myself wanting to live slash eat, quote, normally on the weekends and start back on Monday. Also, even though I have switched to black coffee, I am finding it extremely hard to give up my matcha tea in the morning. Secondly, I have been doing 16-8 from about 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. and have seen a difference when sticking to it. I have heard others recommend a smaller window if you don't have a lot to lose, but I find 16-8 challenging already. What would you recommend? Should I try a smaller window? If so, how do I change my focus? I can't get my mind off my window in the morning. Thank you, Lauren. All right. Well, hi, Lauren. Thank you so much for your question. First of all, I love the title, All the Things. (laughs) It's so great. So there are a lot of things in this question. I'll just start by saying that the longer you do intermittent fasting, and I think most people find this, the easier that it gets. Unlike normal restrictive dieting, where the longer you do it, the harder it gets. (laughs) Uh, With intermittent fasting, most of us find that it becomes much easier the longer you do it. And that has to do a lot with, like, for example, what we just talked about with appetite correction and so the changes in hormones and your body physiologically adapting to intermittent fasting. And then also just the changes in your actual brain circuits and habits. And those take a while to change, but they will change if you commit to them and stay consistent. So I just think that consistency is key. And so this actually comes into an interesting little interplay in how to think of intermittent fasting as a lifestyle. And I talked about this for me personally on a previous podcast, but it's ironic because on the one hand, I think the best way to really adapt to intermittent fasting is to be strict in the beginning. I I think that's important um, because I do think you need that consistency to make those changes in your body. But then the ironic part is to make it actually a lifestyle, 
ultimately you want to transition out of that as you become more intuitive. So that's the sort of the timeline that worked for me. So I completely see intermittent fasting as lifestyle now, and that's with me being less rigid. That's with me not seeing intermittent fasting as any sort of restriction, not feeling like I'm living by the clock, and just really being intuitive. So there's that. I also found for me that when I started addressing what I was eating, that that really made the lifestyle change much easier. Because I adopted a whole foods paleo lifestyle after intermittent fasting. And I found that once I just started really focusing on the quality of food that I was eating, that that made things easier. And also when I started clean fasting, which I know Jen is a huge fan of, uh, that made it easier. And for listeners who aren't familiar, so clean fasting basically means we cut out all sorts of anything that is not water, black coffee, plain tea during the fast. So no artificial sweeteners, no flavors, no, even if they're zero calorie, just none of that. I feel like that is really a huge impediment to feeling the fasted state and really making it um, as effortless as it can be. And I'm really curious to see what your thoughts are on this, Jen. She's debating if she should shorten her eating window. So it seems like I don't know. It's, it's, do you think so? Is it is sixteen eight working for her just slowly? I don't know. It's she hasn't said whether you know she's losing the weight. It's just that she's having a hard time with it as a lifestyle. So I don't know. Um, what the the part that sticks out to me is that her window is from eleven a.m. to seven p.m., which I feel like for me, I would I would never have lost weight. That wouldn't work for me either. At 11 a.m., you're just barely getting into what may be the fasted state, and and you've just barely even been awake for that many hours. So I would like to really encourage Lauren to push it longer. And it's really not until you start – like, it's it's really amazing to me how much difference it makes to wait until after 4 p.m. to open my window. You know, as the afternoon goes on, I feel better and better, not more and more hungry. And so I would encourage Lauren to, to try that. You know, it's, if she's white knuckling it until eleven every day, then it might sound crazy to say, "Well, now just keep going a little longer." But really, I think she may need to just push through, and then realize that it does get actually easier when you do that instead of harder. Yeah, I think that's great. I think it's interesting because it is still an eight-hour window, but when you have the eight-hour window encompass much of the daytime hours. Yeah, like you said, it makes a huge difference as far as – because you never really have that daytime activity-fueled, fasted feeling, and which is really key to just really plugging in and uh, feeling motivated by intermittent fasting. That's right. Yeah, that's a really good point. Now, I wanted to to give her a tip that might help, and for me, it was using an app at the beginning to help me um, stay on track with my – with my eating window. And when I first, you know, when I first lost the weight and got to goal and then had my first year in maintenance, I was still trying to figure out, you know, what kind of intermittent fasting regimen I wanted to do. And so I tried a bunch of things and I did five, two and four, three, which is where you have like a couple of fasts in the week and then quote eat normally the other days. 
And it wasn't until 2016, after I'd already been in maintenance for a year, when I realized I really did just feel better with the daily eating window and I didn't like having up days and down days. And so at that time when I was trying to really get into the habit of the daily eating window as as my preferred lifestyle, and by the way, I have never looked back, you know, once I made that choice in um, early 2016. But anyway, my son is an app developer. He goes to Georgia Tech and... um, by the way, he will be working for Apple next summer. Congratulations. That's that's amazing. That's an amazing company to work for. It really is. It really is. But he is an app developer himself. And so I had him make an app for me. He was home for um for the the like a couple of weeks, right, before he started his internship for that summer. He was working at MailChimp that summer. So um he's been around the the internship <laughs> block. But he was home and I said, make me an app. I want to be able to track my eating window. And so he did. And that's really all that it did. It allowed me to open my window and close my window on the app. And it really helped me cement it as a habit. Um I used that app all throughout May, June, July, August, September, into October until I realized I didn't need it anymore, but it helped me a lot. Now, he's since updated the app a lot. It's Like I said, it's Window Intermittent Fasting Tracker. It's only for iOS. Sorry, he's an iOS developer. Apparently, it's really different to develop for Android, but the app now allows you to either track your eating window or your fast. It also now lets you track your weight. It works with... Um, with the health app, and so it automatically will import your weight and then let you see what your moving average is doing. But the app, you know, not to have a plainless, uh, not to have a shameless plug here, but it really helped me. Just, you know, that opening my window, I knew it was time to eat, and then when I was done, just that physical act of closing the window on the app made me less likely to have a little bite of something later. And so it got me into the habit of, of opening and closing. And then um, before I knew it, there it was. And it was easier. Yeah, I think I think that's great. It speaks to the two things I talked about as far as like creating the actual habit circuit and then also committing to something kind of strict in the beginning and then becoming more intuitive. Yeah, it's exactly what you said. It just the app helped me do both of those things that you mentioned. So you're right. I had to have that... Um, that structure at first. And now I don't. I don't need it at all. I don't time my window. I don't say, oh, I've got three more minutes till my window closes. I don't. I just, I never eat because I can or I eat if I want to. Wonderful. So we'll put a link to that app as well on our website, ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. Oh, and speaking of, I, there's an app I really want to develop, not related to intermittent fasting. So maybe I can talk to your son. Maybe he's super busy. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> he might though. You never know. You'll have to have to see. He makes all the money from this app. I don't make a penny from it. So he makes a, a nice little chunk. So I'm I'm proud of him. Well, maybe in the future, throwing it out there to the universe. There is an app I want to develop related to food, but not intermittent fasting. Oh, well, maybe he's, he's always looking for a good idea. Okay, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> we'll <Yeah>. be talking. <laughs> all right. Hi, friends. Now, if you're anything like me, you love biohacking, intermittent fasting, and getting feedback and data on what our bodies are doing. Now, when we do intermittent fasting or extended or prolonged fasting, it's hard to get feedback sometimes on how our bodies 
are doing in terms of fat burning and ketosis. This is one of the reasons that I created the Tone Device, which is a breath ketone analyzer. It can tell you the rate of fat burning your body is in by detecting the ketones on your breath. If you practice intermittent fasting, time-restricted eating, do an occasional 24-hour fast like once a week, or prolonged or extended fasting, it's likely your body is getting into light ketosis. If you are doing keto or low-carb, even sometimes paleo, you may be getting into a deeper state of fat burning and ketosis. If you do a high-carb diet, then you probably get into a light state of ketosis after some fasting. What I love about the tone is that you can simply breathe into it for about four to five seconds, and it will give you instant feedback on the rate of fat burning that your body is at. Now, when we are in ketosis, our bodies are at their highest rate of fat burning, which is what is so neat. We actually breathe out our fat. So the carbons that we are measuring with the tone device are actually coming from our fat. When we practice different approaches like intermittent fasting or doing time-restricted eating, lower-carb diets or keto approaches, our bodies actually make a metabolic switch where fat becomes our primary fuel. And the body takes fat and converts it into ketones in the liver. About 15 to 20% of those circulating ketones are then diffused through our lungs, out in our breath. And it is so amazing. I absolutely love using the tone every single day. I love the biofeedback, especially when I am doing any kind of fasting. And I can see my body gradually get into a deeper and deeper state of fat burning through those ketone levels going higher and higher. Now, one of the reasons I created the tone is because testing blood ketones is cost prohibitive. The test strips are extremely expensive. They are wasteful. You no longer have to buy test strips anymore. You can just breathe into the tone device for four to five seconds and get that instant feedback. It's a one-time investment and you'll be able to test an unlimited amount of times. Now, I always recommend testing with the tone device fasted first thing in the morning and testing up until you have your first meal of the day and you will be able to see differences there, especially if you do a longer fast, you'll see the ketones go higher and higher and it really is so great to get that biofeedback. Now, for the past year and a half, I've been working on a brand new version of the tone, the second generation tone device. And I am so excited for it to soon be available to you all. I wanted to create a special launch discount for the tone device so that any of you who are interested can take advantage of that discount. I've never discounted the tone device before, but if you are signed up to the exclusive VIP list, you will receive that launch discount. To sign up for the list, you can go to tonedevice.com and enter your name and email address and you will receive an email which you can confirm to double opt-in and you'll be the first to know when the new second generation tone device is available to order and you will also receive that exclusive launch discount. I am so excited for you all to try it so be sure to go and sign up at tonedevice.com. All right now back to our show. So we can jump into our next questions. Okay, so we actually have three questions from three different listeners, but they all relate to the same subject, so we are lumping them together. So the first question comes from Hazel, and the subject is pre-workout. And Hazel says, Hi ladies, I love, love your podcast and listening to your information and process on IF. 
I've been doing IF for about four days now. What do you think is a best pre-workout during fasted hours that won't kick you out? Also, do you think it's okay to take a, quote, real pre-workout during my eating hours because I do like to lift heavy weights and I feel pre-workouts help me with this. Thank you so much for your advice. Can't wait to continue to listen to more of your podcasts. I'm on episode nine right now, so working my way up. So that's question one. Question two comes from Haley and the subject is pre-workout supplements. And Haley says, I recently started listening to your podcast and love it. I start my day with a workout and typically use a pre-workout to get started. I read plenty of things that say just drinking a cup of coffee is just as if not more beneficial than using a pre-workout, but I don't like coffee. The pre-workout is sweet, and per your podcast on drinks during the fast, it sounds like if I use this sweet-tasting pre-workout drink, it will trigger an insulin response and cause me to break the fast. Can you tell me if you think that's correct? Thank you. And then the last question comes from Felicia, and the subject is, <laughs> and I love this, I'm guessing I know the answer, but dot, dot, dot. I, I love that. <laughs> and so she says, so I've started doing IF 19.5 about a week ago after discovering your podcast. You both are so inspirational, and I love the different perspectives you provide. My question that I think I know the answer to is, I work out at 5 a.m., and fast from 7 p.m. until 2 p.m. I noticed this morning that I was taking a pre-workout supplement and wasn't even thinking about it. I've done it for months. I've even cut out toothpaste, but I haven't cut out brushing my teeth, <laughs> to make sure I am fasting as cleanly as possible. So I am guessing my Kool-Aid-flavored pre-workout is out and breaking what I thought was my 19-hour fast. Thanks for the advice. All right, so pre-workout supplements. It's funny, we didn't have any questions about this, and then we got like three. All right, well, here's what's hilarious about it also. You know, I've um, been running intermittent fasting support groups since 2015, and I never even got one person ever talk about or asking about pre-workout until like within the past few months. So no one ever was using them, and now all of a sudden everyone is using them. So <laughs> it's really funny. And... um I did do some research into what the pre-workout actually was, but first I want to give everybody an overall rule of thumb that, that I think might serve us well. And when you're considering a product, ask yourself if the people who are telling you you need it are also the people trying to sell it to you. That may um, give you some insight as to how much you really actually need it. So what is in a pre-workout and is it something your body needs? Well, I, I did some research, did some reading, and I found a, a journal article called Effects of a Pre-Workout Supplement on Lean Mass, Muscular Performance, Subjective Workout Experience, and Biomarkers of Safety. And so this, um, this journal article talked about what was in a pre-workout. So one of the things that you find in a pre-workout is, you know, caffeine. You also find protein in a pre-workout. So the thing is, you know, we know that it's sweet. So just from that alone, you don't want to take a pre-workout because it's got the sweetness in it. But also, it's got protein. So I go back to what I learned from um, Dr. Jason Fung and the Obesity Code and his blog. And I actually have a, a blog post myself called Does a Clean Fast Really Matter? And in it, I link to one of his blog posts where he talks about protein 
And he says, this is a quote from Jason Fung. He says, what turns off autophagy, eating, glucose, insulin, or decreased glucagon, and proteins all turn off this self-cleaning process. And it doesn't take much. Even a small amount of amino acid, which would be leucine, could stop autophagy cold. So that's coming from Dr. Jason Fung. So if you think about that, do you want to be supplementing with, with protein during your fast, especially if it's Kool-Aid flavored? as Felicia described it. Actually, no, you probably don't. So when I when I dug into the, the actual study about the effects, it was pretty interesting. And um, they did a six-week study, and they found that actually the people who were exercising with the pre-workout, they did find that they had less fatigue when they, um, when they consumed it. They also had better energy and better concentration than when they were using the placebo drink. But... They did not have any improvement in performance or body composition, which I think is interesting because I think that's the main reason you would want to use it is so that you would have benefits in body composition and in um, performance. So, yes, the people did have an effect as far as less fatigue. They did have higher concentration, better energy. But my hunch would be you're going to get those exact benefits from being in the fasted state. So my suggestion would be embrace the fasted state because then you don't have to worry if if this pre-workout with its protein and its sweet taste is breaking your fast. You'll know that you're not breaking your fast. And as we've talked about before when we've discussed exercise, your body is great in the fasted state at recycling proteins that are already in your body. So you don't need to to be supplementing with them at this point, your body's got them and it's using them. Now, if you absolutely feel like you need to supplement with protein later in the day, then then do that. Because I know Melanie has discussed a study before that says that as long as you have the protein within a 24-hour period of, of your workout, you don't have or something like that. Right, Melanie? Yeah. Basically, when it comes to protein, um, as long as you get adequate protein within 24 hours, regardless of if you worked out or activity levels, you're good to go. And actually, studies find that having all of your protein in a concentrated amount all at one time can be more beneficial for the, the catabolic versus anabolic state. So basically rebuilding muscle mass. So you don't have to worry. You don't have to have your, your protein like right away once you, right after you work out. Or before, because these are pre-workouts. So, I mean, I guess we're at the point now where you're buying a pre-workout, then you work out, then you have your post-workout, then you have, I mean, doesn't that sound a little crazy? <laughs> we don't need all this. Yeah. It's, <laughs> no, no, no. Like historically as humans and hunter-gatherers, I mean, who are doing a lot more physical activity than we are today, they were not taking in pre-workout supplements before they went and chased down their dinner or whatever. But yeah, I think you summed that up really well. Basically, the two aspects of the pre-workout are the caffeine stimulant aspect and then the protein support. Yeah, as far as the protein content goes, I actually believe that you will benefit more if you don't have those amino acids in the fasted state just because you're not going to shut off autophagy, which is so key for using your own protein in your body. Um, but of course, the um, the caffeine and stimulant aspect of a pre-workout supplement can be beneficial for increasing endurance, increasing performance, and increasing benefits. So I would just recommend that you have straight up coffee. I think that would be the best. But then, I mean, Haley says she doesn't like coffee. Um, maybe you like tea, Haley, or 
this might sound kind of crazy, but I would recommend if you want some sort of caffeine stimulant just to get straight up caffeine pills. I was going to say that too. Yeah, you're right. I don't know why it sounds like weird to say that, but um, that's actually what I'd recommend. Yeah, me too. I agree with that. Just they did find that it that like I said, these pre workouts did increase concentration and the feeling that they had while they were working out, and that may be of immense benefit to you. The term for it is perceived rate of exertion. There you go. Okay, it basically speaks to how much work you think you're doing versus how much work you're doing. I mean, it just makes you feel super good about the work you're doing, really, right? Yeah, it makes you feel like you're doing less work, but you're doing more. It's, so it's pretty beneficial for exercise. Like you're Superman. Yes, exactly. Right. So, you know, I hope, I hope that that helps. But it's just funny to me that no one ever talked about pre-workouts, and now, like, this comes up all the time. So, <laughs> Well, it reminds me of – because back in the day – I had my phase where I was really obsessed with like thermogenics and stuff like that. And I think some of those technically qualify as pre-workouts, but those were all mostly just on the stimulant side, not with the uh, the protein aspect. So I think the, the pre-workout is, yeah, it's the stimulant and the protein. And then all of those fillers and additives and flavors and just, I know. Well, it's just really funny. You can really tell what America is doing by going to Costco. <laughs> that's such a good, that's such a telling statement. It's true. You you want to know what America is into. You Go walk to through Costco. Costco and that's so true. <laughs> right now, so true. America is into pre-workouts and protein shakes because that, yes. <laughs> so it is all over Costco. That's so funny. I'm going to start thinking that. I go to Costco all the time. So now when I go, I'm going to be like, America. What's America doing? You know, when it was Chia, there was Chia everywhere, remember? Yes, yes. I mean, but it is in our benefit with like the organic food and stuff because they'll have now – I get all my frozen fish, my wild-caught frozen fish at Costco, and then they have like organic chicken. Yeah, it's where I buy my coffee. Oh, interesting. It's organic. It's like a Cafe Cubano or something. It's really good. You can definitely get the good stuff. Yeah. I love Costco. Me too. <laughs> love Costco. <laughs> and it is apparently the heartbeat of America. Is it really? Well, you see, we, you know, with, with what we're doing, you could. Oh, 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 right. Yeah. Oh, wait. I thought, I thought that was like an actual, like. No, I made that up just now. But I, I you know, I, I really, we'd been getting the questions about pre-workout. So the last time I was there, I was like, look at all this pre-workout. So. I love it. I go and I, I buy a lot of cucumbers there too. And like massive bulk. And then the, the checkout people are always like, what do you do with all these cucumbers? Do you like juice them? I'm like, I just, no, eat, just them. eat them. Yeah. That's <laughs> funny. <laughs> all right. Shall we jump into the next question? Yes. And this one is a, is a good one from Karen. And her subject is IF and cancer. And Karen says, hi there. I've just recently discovered your podcast. And so I, I have been binge listening for the past several days to catch up on them all. I have a little bit of experience with intermittent fasting in the past, and I'm looking to make it a more consistent lifestyle. I also recently started following the Facebook page, and I'm finding a lot of helpful information there as well. I was disturbed, however, by posts I saw that were to the effect of, I have a friend who has cancer. What would you recommend to show her how IF can cure her cancer? While I have no doubt that IF is a wonderful preventative measure for cancer and may even be helpful to people who are in treatment under the supervision of a doctor, I'm very uncomfortable with people talking of it as a cure for cancer. 
I'm sure you both recall various diets through history that were spoken of in this way, and some people took that and said, well, if this diet can cure my cancer, why should I bother with all the painful chemotherapy and radiation? Gilda Radner came to my mind immediately when I saw that post. And by the way, I do remember that post um, that, that Karen is talking about. So Karen continues, so I have a question and request. My question is, could you discuss a little what research is available relating to fasting's role in prevention and treatment of cancer? I know there is some positive information along this line, but I'm not familiar with the details. And the request is, could you gently remind your listeners that the plural of anecdote is not data and they shouldn't take medical advice from strangers on the internet? And I say amen to that one. That was Jen talking. So what do you have to say, Melanie? All right, Karen. Well, thank you so much for your question. First of all, I just want to start by saying that I agree as well that I don't believe we should ever prescribe anyone diet as a cure-all for cancer. Cancer is a very complicated, I mean, it's a tragic, terrible thing that occurs, but it's very complicated and there's so much going on and I don't, obviously there's not any one right answer as far as to how to address it. If there were, we wouldn't be dealing with it today. So as far as intermittent fasting and cancer, how that all relates, start by saying that cancer, um, a lot of people think that it's genetic or that it's unavoidable, but actually studies show that very few cases of cancer are actually genetic. I just read something the other day that said perhaps around 5% of cancer is stemming from a genetic cause. Most of it likely comes from lifestyle practices and just the epigenetics and the situations that our bodies get into from our modern lifestyles, our modern living, our food choices, all that stuff. Not to say cancer is anybody's fault because that's, I think, what people people hesitate to say that because it sounds like, oh, then it's your fault if you get cancer, which is obviously not even completely true. Basically, you're not necessarily destined for cancer, and I do believe it can be addressed through lifestyle practices. So as far as intermittent fasting and cancer is concerned, rodent trials have shown that intermittent fasting can indeed mitigate cancer risk and cell proliferation cancer rates. It's been shown that intermittent fasting in rodents can basically encourage the growth of normal cells in the body and protect them from oxidative stress while at the same time retarding the growth of cancerous ones without shielding them from oxidative stress. So basically it can work selectively on cancer cells. And a reason for this, so basically what are cancer cells? So they're essentially mutant cells in the body where something has gone wrong in the actual cell, these cells reproduce and they wreak havoc on the body. They form tumors, they destroy body tissues, and basically a cell goes, goes wrong, goes rogue, and it escapes the body's normal mechanisms that would kill that cell and shut it down. And then it grows and it creates all these problems and it's just not a good thing. So cancer cells can only really run super efficiently on glucose, which is sugar. That tends to be their, their main fuel substrate. Whereas with a fasted state, that generates a different metabolic state of 
fatty acids and ketones. And our body's normal cells, like quote normal cells, are very flexibly adapt, or they should be, at least they will be when you get into a state of metabolic flexibility. And so our normal cells can adapt pretty well to running on fatty acids and ketones, whereas cancerous cells, which are these rogue cells, they are not so flexible. They really do need that sugar. And so intermittent fasting as a lifestyle pattern may discourage cancer cells and may stop the growth of cancer cells once they actually start, which is really amazing. Also, energy generated from ketones requires less oxygen. So fasting can actually potentially further stop cancer cells by reducing their oxygen consumption and the whole oxidative stress surrounding that. So yeah, so long story short is basically fasting can create a metabolic state, which is definitely preventative against cancer for sure. As far as actually curing cancer, I don't want to ever say any one thing can cure cancer, but I do think it is actually potentially a viable option there. So what are your thoughts, Jen? Well, first, I do want to reiterate what um, what we already said, and that is you should never, never, never take medical advice from people on the internet ever, not just a Facebook group, but before the days of Facebook, you know, there were bulletin boards, Yahoo groups, if anybody remembers those. And so never take medical advice from anybody that you don't know on Facebook. And even doctors should not be giving medical advice on, you know, in groups like this, because there's so many things that come into play. So, um, no, you do not want to ask people in a Facebook group about what you should, your friends should do for cancer. And here's something that's, um, that's interesting, and you rarely see people talk about it, and it has to do with autophagy. And as Melanie said, there are lots and lots of anti-tumor benefits to fasting, and so it could potentially keep some tumors from developing. But when you read about autophagy, actually there are some types of cancer that grow better when autophagy is happening. So not to, um, yeah, not to scare anybody, but autophagy can actually stimulate certain cancer cells to grow. So the the thing is, it just depends on, you know, you wouldn't just say everyone with cancer start to fast because that would be the wrong thing to do for certain types of cancer. And that is why you would like a doctor who is an oncologist who understands the difference. And so you don't want to just go rogue with some sort of treatment that you read about on the internet. That makes no sense at all. You could be doing yourself more harm than good because you're like, well, if fasting is great, it's anti-cancer, I'm just going to fast this tumor away. And in actuality, you've got the kind that um, that that may be stimulated by this. So be very cautious with with any type of you know rogue medical care. The key is you want to get a doctor who is knowledgeable, and you can keep looking until you find a doctor that that understands how you are hoping to um, to treat whatever illnesses you have, whether it's cancer or whatever. There are doctors out there who are knowledgeable about intermittent fasting, and you can look and find one. Um, now, as far as how physicians are using intermittent fasting now in the treatment of cancer, I know that there's some research going on with fasting and how it relates to chemotherapy. And so there are some, some benefits that they're finding that as patients are going through chemotherapy, if they also adopt an intermittent fasting regimen or a fasting regimen, it helps them get through the chemotherapy um, better. Like it's, it's easier on their bodies. So that's something, you know, if I were diagnosed with cancer, hopefully that the intermittent fasting lifestyle I'm leading will, will 
have those anti-tumor benefits like I'm hoping, but if I ever were to be diagnosed with cancer, I would find a physician who is knowledgeable about fasting and how we could use that as part of the therapy and how that may be appropriate as a supplement to chemotherapy, that sort of thing. But, you know, neither Melanie nor I or anyone on Facebook or anyone on the internet or your friend who lives next door or the person at the mall, I mean, honestly, none of those are the people I would go to if I had questions such as that. So, yes, you can do some research yourself, but really you want a team of medical professionals that understand the ins and outs of whatever you are particularly facing. So there's there's my lecture on that. Yeah, I think that's great. I, t- I forgot about those studies because I've read those as well about the chemotherapy studies. So I'm glad you brought those up. Um, those are great. And I will just to reiterate, I do personally believe that cancer is largely related to lifestyle and diet. And, and I think that our modern perspective is looking, I don't know, sometimes looking in the wrong places for the answers, but yeah, I just wanted to end with that. But definitely everything you said, Jen, about medical advice and doing your research and all the things. So, all right, shall we jump into our next question? Yes. Okay. So this one comes from Ozzy. And Ozzy's subject is not hungry. And Ozzy says, Hi, Jen and Melanie. I started IF about a month ago and am loving it so far. I try not to be too strict with my fasting window as I just listen to my body. Most of the time, it's a 16-8, but sometimes it's a 12 or 13-hour fast. I usually break my fast with a coffee, milk and stevia, or a gluten-free protein bar. Either way, I'm not hungry after that for several hours. So if I break my fast with those items at just, say, around 12 or 1 p.m., I won't eat again until dinner time around 5.30 to 6 p.m. I close my window at 8 p.m. My question is, is this normal? I always hear you guys say that once you break your fast, you'll just be hungry and keep eating due to the insulin release. So why am I not hungry? Any thoughts? Is this good or bad for IF weight loss and healing benefits? Thanks so much. Love the podcast and looking forward to reading both of your books. Cheers. And I I really love this question because nobody's really, out of all of our questions, nobody's really brought this up, which is the, the opposite problem most people experience. Um, so I'm really, I was really excited to bring this up on the podcast. So what are your thoughts, Jen? Well, I, I think this illustrates that there's no universal way we're all going to feel. Ozzy is not hungry after breaking the fast with, with the coffee, with the milk and stevia and the gluten-free protein bar. I mean, I think that's fine. If you eat and you feel great, then don't question why you're not hungry. Just say, hey, it's great that I'm not hungry, right? So Ozzy said, um, you guys said, once you break your fast, you'll just be hungry and keep eating due to the insulin release. So why am I not hungry? And I don't really think that's exactly how it works. Like you have an insulin release and then you're starving. What happens is you have, when your body releases insulin, if you have, um, if it then clears out your blood glucose to the point that you have a blood glucose crash, then you might have that rebound hunger. But you've just had you know, coffee with milk, you've had the the protein bar. So yeah, your body's going to release insulin, but then it's not like crashing your blood sugar and you actually feel good. So that's a good sign. Feeling good is a good sign. So don't, don't question why you feel good. Just know that your body is telling you that, Hey, all good. So, um, 
basically you ask if this would be good or bad for IF weight loss and healing benefits, and, and we really can't say. You may find that the 16-8 is, is perfect for you, this routine. I mean, you're basically having one meal a day. You're having your coffee and your protein bar as a snack, and then you're having dinner later all within about an eight-hour window. If that's working for you, then um, I say don't stop it. Would you get more benefits with a slightly longer fast? You know, maybe so, yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of the benefits with um, with intermittent fasting do kick in between that 16 to 19-hour mark. So if you want to try extending your window, then, I mean, I'm sorry, try extending your fast to 19 hours, then try that and see. But if you feel great and you're getting the benefits you're looking for, then then keep doing that. So it's not like for me, like I immediately have a bite of food and then I'm starving. It's, it is that sometimes having something to eat will stimulate your appetite, but not necessarily. There's so much going on behind the scenes in your body. So there's not going to be any exact one way you're always going to respond. I hope that explained, I explained that well. Yeah, I think that's great. I'm glad Ozzy brought this up because I think I probably have given the impression in the past that once you start eating for everybody, then you're just going to be like ravishly hungry because that's (laughs) – for me, once I start eating, I am pretty hungry and I just kind of go to town. Um, But it's great if you are eating certain things and you're not experiencing the hunger right after. I mean, I think it just shows that you're having a healthy insulin response and you're responding in a good way to your meals. I, I love Ozzy that you're intuitive. I think you're in a really great place. I so I wouldn't question it. <laughs> if things are going right, just keep on keeping on with them. I did want to talk briefly just to the two different things that Ozzy said. I guess we don't know Ozzy. We don't know if you're a girl or boy. <laughs> um, but uh, Ozzy, you said you're sometimes you have coffee, sometimes you have the protein bar. So having the coffee, I know you have a little bit of milk and stevia looks like that's not really breaking your fast probably at all. I don't think personally. I know it's not clean fasting per the clean fasting definition, but if you're not getting any hunger from that, you're probably just getting more ramped up fat burning from the coffee if you're just having the coffee. So I wouldn't even consider that breaking your fast, even though I know it's not clean fasting. Jen would. <laughs> um, Jen would. And then, but <laughs> I know. Jen I would. Know, I know. <laughs> but then as far as the protein bar goes, so that's definitely breaking your fast. Um, but you are having, it seems a very healthy insulin response to that. So yeah. So I wouldn't really consider it one meal a day. Like you said, Jen, if he's having the protein or he or she is having the protein bar. Well, see, I don't think of a protein bar as a meal. Like I define one meal a day is when you eat a meal. Oh, see, I do. A protein bar is like something you would have. I don't think of that as a meal. That's interesting. I would not consider that a one meal a day because I would see it as like Aussie's eating, eating something sort of substantial. I mean, it's like physical. It's got protein, probably got fat in it, and then waiting a little bit and then having the one meal later. Yeah. I would call that a snack. It's like one meal a day and a snack then. Yeah. In a, way. a snack and a meal. <laughs> Technicalities. Um, yeah. So as far as whether it's good or bad, I think it's good. If in the future you find that you want to tighten things up a little bit, either to experience an, an extended fast or to ramp up any sort of benefits, you can totally try it. But um, I think it's all working for you and keep on keeping on. All right. We have time for one more set of questions, I think. Yes. Okay. And these are um, these are also linked. So they have the same topic. So the first is Leslie and the subject is bone broth. And Leslie says, my question is about what you can drink. 
is drinking bone broth, breaking the fast, really enjoying your podcasts, listen to all nine in two days. And then the, the second one is from Angel, and the subject is bone broth and fasting, and it says, Hi, Jen and Melanie. Thanks for the awesome podcast. I really like how you explain everything in simple, easy-to-understand terms. Melanie mentioned in episode 21 that she breaks her fast by drinking meat broth. Does drinking bone broth break your fast? Jason Fung wrote in his book that bone broth is allowed during a fast. Is that too good to be true? What's your thought on it? All right, Leslie and Angel, thank you so much for your questions. Yeah, so Jason Fung seems to be a pretty big proponent of having bone broth during the fast, and a lot of other intermittent fasters figures as well have advocated having bone broth during the fast. I think bone broth fasting is wonderful, super healing. I think it's a great thing for people to do, but I don't consider it intermittent fasting. I consider them uh, very different. Well, well, first of all, I do want to just like clarify a little bit terminology-wise, bone broth, meat broth, all the things. And we talked about this like a long time ago, I think. The bouillon cubes to make your own broth, please, please, please don't. Don't, don't even, just don't. That's all I'm going to say to that. <laughs> Those are like, you look at the back and they're literally everything just not good. It's a bunch of chemicals. Just please don't. Okay, so yeah, there's that. Then as far as actual bone broth, so bone broth versus meat broth, I just wanted to clarify that for a second because I've been drinking like meat broth, which I make out of using my Instant Pot, which I love Instant Pot, and it's amazing for making bone broth and meat broth. There is a link to that on the Stuff We Like page. Some people make broths out of meat, and they find that that, that is less reactive in a way because bone broth can be high in certain compounds like glutamine and a few other things that some people react to. But in any case, bone broth is made out of straight up bones. Meat broth like I've been doing, I've actually been making out of chicken breast on the bone, but there's more emphasis on like the, the chicken skin and all of that stuff. That's just a quick definition thing. So as far as breaking the fast, yes. I believe it breaks the fast. Um, you're taking in protein substrates, uh, amino acids, things like that. You're taking in um, potentially fats as well, depending on what type of bone broth you're having. That's why I have it to break my fast because then I find that it's easily assimilated and can really heal my gut lining when my gut is has been fasted and is really receptive to the nutrients coming in. So I found that that's the best of both worlds for the broth that um, if I break my fast with it, that it's just very healing, and then I have my meal afterwards. But as far as drinking bone broth during the fast, I wouldn't, unless you're doing like a bone broth fast. <laughs> what are your thoughts, Jen? Right. I agree with that completely. And this is the thing that really gets a lot of people confused because um, in the book, The Complete Guide to Fasting, um, you know, bone broth is listed as an option, but they also are talking about extended fasting, which I think a lot of people get confused about. So if you're doing an extended fast, which of course Melanie and I do not do extended fasts, and we've talked about why before, but if you're doing an extended fast for days and days and days and days, that's when Dr. Fung is suggesting that you may want to have some some bone broth, you know, to go with those extended fasts. And also, I think people forget... Um, Dr. Fung is working with with patients in his clinic that have so many different issues, you know, health issues. They're, um, you know, they may have type two diabetes, and so he does some. He makes some recommendations that I've heard him talk about 
on you know interviews and podcasts, some of his recommendations are so that people will be more likely to comply with the fasting. So he wants his patients, you know, a fast with bone broth is better than no fast at all. So he has, okay, we'll do this if it'll help you to fast. But if you're really trying to do intermittent fasting and you're having a daily eating window and your goal is to have the fasted state and the benefits that go along with it, you're not getting into those the way that you could be by, by having the bone broth. So you, as Melanie already explained, and as I talked about earlier, even, you know, when I read Dr. Fung's actual words to you from his blog post about protein, he said himself, even a small amount of amino acid could stop autophagy cold. So, you know, if your goal is autophagy, you don't want the bone broth. If your goal is you're trying to get a really sick patient to do some fasting and bone broth is the thing that'll keep them on the regimen, then that's a different story. So I think you have to understand, you know, what's the purpose of, of why you're having the bone broth. It's, it's a great way to open your window, but if you're trying to get the benefits of intermittent fasting with the daily eating window, it's just not something that you want to include during the fast. One final thought on the bone broth. So the new version of my book, which is called What When Wine, and that's available in stores nationwide in January 2018. So I actually have a recipe in there for bone broth, and it's um, developed by Ariane Resnick, who she actually wrote a book, and I totally recommend this book as well, called The Bone Broth Miracle. The reason I want to talk about this is because I think bone broth is absolutely amazing. I really, really do. And people are often intimidated by it and think that it would be hard to make your own, but it's really, really not. You can make it in a slow cooker. Also, like I said, if you have the Instant Pot, which combines a slow cooker, a sauteer, and a pressure cooker, so it's basically like all the things, you can make bone broth in like about two hours or so in a pressure cooker in the Instant Pot. And once you start doing it, it's delicious. It's absolutely amazing for your gut lining. It's just a wonderful way, personally, I think, to break your fast, especially now that the uh, the colder months are coming up. A lot of Whole Foods stores, they sell the, the bones, the grass-fed bones in the freezer section, so that's a great place to get bones. So, yeah, totally <laughs> check out my book if you're interested, or check out Ariane's book, The Bone Broth Miracle. There are links to that at if.com slash stuff we like. We're not against bone broth. We, we think it's great. It's just not, not during the fasted state unless you're doing a multi-day fast and, you know, there's other things going on. Yeah. I think that's great that you clarified that about the extended fasting. You know, just because some things might be, quote, allowed, that doesn't mean it's going to be ideal. So you just have to decide what, what your goals are. Yeah. Oh, uh, by the way, personally, I also find that once I break my fast, I won't be hungry because in the fasted state, I'm typically not hungry. But then when I have the bone broth, it does make me personally hungry. I'm sure it would make me hungry too. Yeah. And that that's always a great sign that it's stimulating your appetite. Yeah. <laughs> also makes me feel really good. Like yeah. this like zen feeling comes over me and I'm like, oh. oh, that's good. I'll have to make some when it starts to get cold because it's still not that cold here. But as it starts to get cold, I'll be making some bone broth to open my window. Yay. I can't wait. Do you have an, you don't have the instant pot yet, right? No, I can't buy one more thing. I can't. <laughs> well, if you do buy one more thing, that's the one more thing. The the thing I really want to buy if I buy one more thing is an air fryer because I want to make like really crispy french fries from a raw potato. So 
Like a dehydrator? No, it's an air fryer. And it's um, like you put, it does something with air and heat and you put like raw potatoes in it with a little bit of olive oil or whatever. And then it like crisps them up like as if you fried them. Oh. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. I have not heard of that. You have an air fryer. So that, that's just something I'm interested in. But I don't have room for all these big appliances. So if somebody <laughs> wants to send you a Christmas present. And, but I don't know where I will put the air fryer. So don't. Don't send me an no. air fryer. Okay. <laughs> well, I would probably be because I could make room for an air fryer. But <sighs> <laughs> I just bought uh, an immersion blender. I do have that. Actually, well, it hasn't, it hasn't come yet. It's coming tomorrow. I'm really excited about it. I researched it for literally like two weeks. I was like on Amazon reading all the reviews because there was like five different ones and they all have hundreds of reviews and like 4.7 stars. And I'm like, oh, which one to get? (laughs) Yeah, I love my little immersion blender when I need to blend up something. It's a good one. I want to do some soups when it gets cold. I want to do like a soup fast. I love soup. Like a intermittent fasting with soups and soups are so easy i was like intimidated by soups for a long time i like never made soup and then i'm like man soup's like the easiest thing you can make and there's just so much like potential and possibility you can throw everything in there and it's going to be fine and delicious yeah no the other day i was like i'm just going to make a soup a mushroom soup and i just like put in stuff like mushroom mushrooms but like wine and garlic and everything Yum. and it literally it tasted like i was like oh i, I could get this at a restaurant this tastes right. like amazing like who knew i so. made soup last week and it was a sausage like an italian soup with sausage and it had um leeks those are one of my favorite things it was like amazing and it had fennel and it had tomatoes and garlic oh it was so good oh soups and i threw in some heavy cream because that's how i roll well this was absolutely amazing do you have any other final thoughts before we go jen no i think we had some great questions today as usual keep them coming all right so a few quick notes before we do go if you have your own questions for the podcast we would love 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 to hear them so there are two ways that you can submit those to us Uh, first of all you can directly email us at questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to our website, which is ifpodcast.com, and you can submit questions there. Also, that website is where we have that page, which is ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like, and that's where we put all of the stuff we like. <laughs> um, so anything we talked about will be listed there. You can also get show notes for our podcast if you go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 28. And then last thing, you can subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. And then you will get the episodes automatically downloaded to your iPhone or app or whatever you're using. So that's a great option. And then while you're in iTunes, if you're in a creative, I just want to write something mode, (laughs) we would love for you to write a creative or it doesn't have to be creative, but we would love if you could write a review of the podcast. Um, That would just really be super appreciated. We're super grateful for that. So yes, I really enjoyed today's episode. I did too. And thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you, everybody. So we'll see you all next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, the opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week. <laughs>